to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. I'm talking with an old friend of mine, Kate Walsh-Rose, today. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi, Mans. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And I think you've got a really interesting story. We've, we haven't had anyone come on the show that's done exactly what you're doing, which is you have a role as an operations manager at a construction company, but then you've also started a side hustle within that company. So I'd love you to talk through maybe maybe to give us a sense of the, would you describe the construction business as a medium-sized business, something to get to get maybe number of employees, something like that to get a sense of the size of that business. And then maybe you could talk through your mindset around it. Why did you want to start the, the side hustle and how did you go about doing that? Yeah, sure. I think the construction business is probably tipping from medium to almost large now. When I started, it was it was definitely a small business. It's just on 80 employees and in a couple of different states. So that's been a great learning curve because I've been here during that growth period and that journey as well. In terms of the side business, that's probably we've known each other for quite some time, Mez and um, or Meryl, I should say. <laughs> and sorry, sorry, everyone. And I think you've you've certainly inspired that side hustle obviously Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week book was you know certainly um talks about that and the barefoot investor as well they're the two books that are probably started my journey in that space and the challenge for that for anyone is transitioning from your full-time employment or whatever you've got going on and being financially viable to kick yourself off into that side hustle and also from a, from a time perspective as well. And so through multiple chats with yourself and other people that I respect and, and probably have a, a bit of a mentorship with, I started seeing gaps in the current clients with their construction. So the construction business works from anywhere from zero to $6 million worth of work in particular sectors, aged care, health and, and education. But what we were seeing from the construction side is poorly maintained assets. And it's certainly something I've done in previous roles where I've done uh, facility maintenance and, and managing the maintenance of assets. And we were really lucky to have some strong trade teams that were directly employed in the construction business. So, you know, I started talking about that we could have another offering that for the, for the clients and fill a gap there, but also about cash flow as well. Preventative maintenance is, is more planned and it's, you know, monthly revenue stream, which I know is something that you, you've spoken about with your business. And so I was looking to create that for a construction business, which is usually you incur those costs up front. You even have to put in bank guarantees so you've got cash in escrow, then you've got to incur, incur the costs up front and you might be, you know, up to 120 days delayed in payment. So you actually got a quite significant financial constraints in that, whereas preventative maintenance and reactive maintenance, it, it should be 
a lot quicker turnaround. So that's, I think, where the, the conversation started with the directors of the construction business. One in particular encouraged me to go away and develop a pitch um, and, a, and a business case, and I did that. Probably stressed about it a bit too much and made it a lot more complicated than it needed to be. <laughs> um, and I actually think I, I did this, finalised it when I was hanging out with you on the on the Gold Coast, and you simplified it for helped me simplify it, and uh, it was certainly received well by the directors and voted on, and also voted on by the head plumber who holds the license. So that got across the line, and not only did that, but you know, I was lucky enough to to get a stake a little stake in that so I have investment in it as well. Great. So there's already so many gems in that and I, I can remember helping with the pitch a while ago now. One of the questions I think other people, so if other people were in a similar situation where they're an employee in a business and they're wanting to work on something, a side hustle, they're wanting to start a business, but they might have some constraints either around the time that they have to work on it or cash flow. I think this is a great way to solve it. And actually, it's very clever. In this situation, you've identified a problem within an industry and potentially a way to add value to a business model. You talked about recurring revenue, in, which is quite different to how the construction industry seems to work. And then we're able to bring that to your set of directors. And I think maybe not all directors would be as open-minded as, as it sounds like yours were to encourage you to come up with an idea in a business case and pitch to them. And then it sounds like they've also enabled you to have a stake in, in that business. So was there some groundwork that you needed to do or, or if you were trying to help someone else in a similar situation to get their directors on board with them starting a side hustle within the business what would be your advice to them? I think knowing the directors personally it, it was was part of that journey as well and, and what their motivations for running the business are and continue to be and understanding the challenges that they were facing. Um, you know, business owners take on significant risk in their personal lives. Some of them, you know, have to put personal assets up to run businesses and so that, that conversation and, and the trust between myself and, and the directors, I knew that, that they were, you know, not struggling in that space at all, but that was something we could talk about and thrash out over time. So my advice would be to understand the challenges that they might be facing and the businesses is facing, but also to have that non-business communication as pathway. So, I, you know, when I'm at work and during business hours, I definitely have my work hat on um, in my role and around my accountability. I've seen you at work. You're a, you're a machine pumping out work and being efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be, as, as are you. Um, I think we're pretty, pretty similar in that space. But when the bell sort of rings, if you like, or when the work is done for the day, we have quite a great transition to, you know, whether it be around the table tennis table or over a beer or, you know, whether we're going to a social occasion as well. We have the ability to, to drop that and, and talk openly and honestly and, you know, pitch ideas to each other that might just be fleeting. You know, I, quite regularly, I think yesterday I sent and saw an article in the financial review and just was in the space to, to in my thinking time to be able to sort of go, oh, hey, we know people that own buildings <laughs> and, oh, somebody else is trying to do this, so what would it look like if we did this? And, look, it was a complete concept. But 
you know, we spent five minutes just chatting about that and nothing will probably eventuate from that chat. But it's just about pitching in, in your thoughts around different concepts that might come up to you because you're looking at it at a different, in a different angle. So the thinking time is important. The communication is important and then going away and doing almost a feasibility study. But also the lesson I learned was to not make it too complex. And I definitely didn't pitch to get any return out of that to start with. I hoped, <laughs> as, as you always do, but I'm exceptionally lucky with the, the people that I work with, that they are just amazing people that always give merit where merit's due. And yeah, was lucky in that space. So let's talk through the next part of the story. And I'm actually going to circle back to ask you about thinking time later, because I think that's a really interesting topic in itself. So remind me if I don't circle back to that. But we'll, we'll come back to the story. So you delivered the pitch, you got that the directors all approved it. And then what happened next? What was the timeline to get the business or the, the sub-business, Rex Plumbing, off the ground? Well, you'll love this. This was very quick. <laughs> so the pitch was, you don't have to do a thing. That's all on me. I'll run it. And logistically, my role is quite significant in terms of aspects within the construction business. You know, we'll look after HR, IT, day-to-day recruitment, sorry, day-to-day resourcing for site and also for procurement as well. I have an amazing team under me that, you know, look after that. But that hasn't always been the case. So we looked at it and looked at it from a, I guess, from a small business or a startup type where I would get one day a week to do the plumbing business, so Rex Plumbing, which I have made Wednesdays. So the first protocol was to write out the plan of what I needed. So I needed a website, I needed branding, I needed, you know, all the business stuff like your business name, which I hadn't even had at that point in time. I didn't didn't think of anything. I you know, just, just decided that my strongest trade team was plumbing and that was the one we were going to go and start with. So I wrote that list or project plan and started actioning it. And I think we had the branding within a week, we had the website up within two and the pricing model within that website as well. And probably a week later, so within three weeks, we had all our branding material and we had a client, one specific client that we were happy to share across the two businesses. And as much as I'd pitched it that the current clients had a gap, we decided we wanted to keep it um, quite separate. It was then about learning business development, which was a completely new area for me. I think I'd reached out to a couple of people in different industries and the BNI network sort of popped up. I'd actually referred a friend to to another business owner and they said, come along and have a have a look at this BNI networking group and um Three weeks later, I joined that group and that created instant clients for us. I think that doesn't work for everyone in, depending on your category or, or your business industry, um, but trades tend to do quite well out of our network and, and from what I hear across BNI networks as well. I actually started with BNI too. When I started Beanages, that was one of the first things I did to try and generate leads. And I, I found a really valuable from a, just learning how to give referrals or how to make introductions and how to think about who might be valuable for someone else. And their motto is something like give as gain or something. What's the, it's something like that, but it's all about giving. Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. 
and it's a bit of a different mindset. They're great skills to have, and I think some often they would sit outside of a traditional operation manage, operations manager's skill set, business development and sales. And so, how did you find that? Where you built those relationships, and then did you have to close a deal, or what? What did those first few sales look like? <laughs> I think. The first few sales for us looked like could we solve a problem for someone and could we solve the problem in a different way than another plumber could do it. For us, we have a really heavy focus on customer service and transparency. So it was about meeting the expectations of the referral, whether that was a domestic or a commercial client. And we were lucky that we we had a big enough team that we could get there quickly. We could solve the issue in all aspects and we cross there's so many different areas of plumbing and we have plumbers already onboarded that knew the safe ways to do the work and so they were able we were able to up and run very quickly i have customer service skills i've done previous roles doing that so that was an easy transition what we found in terms of a challenge was we very quickly found out the types of work that we did not want to do <laughs> one and and not so much from a um, cost perspective uh, or a profit perspective but more so for what was time intensive from a, an administration or a customer service or the technicians would sort of be going well I've done everything that I can do it's actually about education educating the client so specifically roof leaks are a common thing that happened in Melbourne they might not happen in there but they certainly happen down here and you can spot fix a a roof leak but you really when your roof starts leaking it's probably time to replace the whole roof however that's a huge expense up front or generally speaking and the spot fix often doesn't fix the whole problem you'll end up with a a water will get into its weakest link and uh, unless you go around with silicon everywhere which is just not possible <laughs> you often end up with a callback on oh, no, my roof's leaking again it can be a completely different spot but they sort of most clients link the two together so we've had some challenges around that we try and educate our clients we're happy we're still happy to do roof leaks but it's about educating the clients to say okay they, this is exactly what we've done this is the exact location that we've worked on we have also assess the roof and in doing so we've highlighted that there's um, you know either one you need to it's time to replace the whole roof or a section of the roof if you don't do something you are going to get more leaks which is is never well received (laughs) to be honest. And so how far along are you with Rex now and have you had any challenges as that business has grown in balancing your time between the two because I imagine as Rex grows it will require more, potentially might require more of your time as well or be throwing out more problems at you to solve. So how do you manage to balance that? That's a really good question and, and yes, you're absolutely right. It does as it grows. It throws more challenges. Managing the time, I'm pretty good at. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Ex-swimmer, everybody, ex-swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, but yeah, I, there's certain things that I know for me I need to get into a routine. So, yeah, I have a, a very specific routine and I've had to learn when I that routine doesn't happen for various reasons to to work around that. So that part of, part of managing my time is associated to that. Um, 
and the other one is is sticking to the Wednesday wherever possible. Um, so I'm pretty stringent on that. I've implemented a couple of different products and and applications that have really helped manage my time and and make time more efficient. We use a system called Simpro to manage our work orders. Our team also does their scheduling through that and we also do our timesheeting through that. So that's that's been really positive on managing the work that we do. Uh, we've got we're actually probably only using 40% of that capabilities at the moment because the interesting thing is that technicians or trades technicians are absolutely amazing at what they do on a daily basis, but administrative tasks are the last thing on their minds. So um, when it comes to time cards or you know, purchase orders or you know um, expense receipts or things like that, that's that's been a significant challenge and probably always will be. So we're looking at different ways to maximise efficiency and accuracy on that data for us, but whilst also understanding that it's not their forte and that's probably why they're in trades and two, if they're spending time on that, I'm actually not making money on them. That makes, I'm being very blunt. Yeah, well, and actually while we're on the topic of efficiency, because I know that's it's a pet topic of, of ours that we talk about together. What are some of the things that you implement just as a manager? So not necessarily across just Rex, but in your role across both businesses. What are some of the things you do to optimize maybe the interactions that you have with staff or how you block your time or or, or anything else that, that you've found is working for you at the moment around getting the most out of each day? I have a very structured meeting, which which we'll probably chat about later in terms of um, got this out of a book called Traction. And also a mixture of B and I. So there are a couple of things that I've taken away from one that book and the B and I networking group is it's quite structured and quite timed. So I hold uh, an operations meeting once a week, which crosses across to the both businesses. Um, it's a 90 minute meeting. It's very prepared. It goes against a scorecard. So each person has a scorecard that's related to their accountabilities and responsibilities. And we've set goals for that scorecard. So it could be, you know, the amount that we've invoiced for Rex each week. We know what our budget is. We know the target we want to hit. And obviously there's a cyclical nature of that. So sometimes we'll miss it. Sometimes we'll be well above it, but we can track week to week and see hopefully more green than red in that space. So everyone in my team has that and has a scorecard, including myself. We also then have an issues list. So to, to come to that meeting, you have to see if you have any issues or challenges that you might be facing in completing your tasks. You need to put that on the issues list and I prioritise them before we enter the meeting. And then we work our way through each of those. We only allow an hour in the meeting to do that. Sometimes we don't have any issues, so the meeting's quite short. Um, it's just about our scorecards and, and keeping everyone on track to the strategic goals that we've set ourselves as well and then if we do have those challenges or issues we, we talk them through and we solve them then in the room or if they're too big for that room we create a, a workshop around that with only the people that are required in that workshop to make the decision to solve the issue so that's one one very we've implemented that since the beginning of the year and that's worked extremely well for the team and then the other one because I do manage a face-to-face team um, 
is to make sure that I'm giving them time. I have a one-to-one and that's come from the BI networking. So each member in my team has a half an hour one-to-one meeting every week just with me and it can be, doesn't necessarily have to be around work. Um, It can just be checking in with them as well, you know, in terms of their challenges and personal and work and also if there's approvals that they might require from me or things that are outside of our, for example, putting in a new phone system and I needed to discuss who was getting what extension call, <laughs> extension number, we can tick that off and we tick it off in the meeting, but we've only got half an hour to do that. A couple of other things that we've used is we use RIC to manage all of our tasks so I can also jump in and see what my team's working on and they can do the same for me. And we've just, or well, I have just implemented um, Calendly to manage all my scheduling and I've set up particular times that I'm happy to meet people um, depending on what I'm meeting them for. So I just send them the link that's relevant to that event. And I've had, it, that's been actually, I'd say probably stop the emailing back and forth of, you know, what time can you meet, what time can I meet? Whereas I've just sort of said, here's, here's when I'm available for this particular meeting. And people click on that link and they also get a text message the day before to remind them as well. So that's been really positive and I think has saved a lot of time. Um, Albeit pushed a few things out a couple of weeks that may not have done so because I can sometimes be quite reactive, but it's been good for me to have that happen. Yeah. We're big fans of the book Traction that you mentioned as well at Beanages and we actually have a future podcast episode. It's still in the pipeline, but down the track we're recording an episode on some of our learnings around implementing traction in in our business. So it's good that you touched on that. And just one other quick question related to this topic, how do you manage interruptions? Because I know with a face-to-face office and with a demanding role like an operations manager role, a lot of people are competing for your attention, whether it's your team or whether it's directors. And I think you touched on that with Calendly. That helps with scheduling. Is there anything else you do to help with or help manage interruptions? Yes. Uh, when I first started, I took the door off my office so that I had an open door policy and I very quickly realised that that was ineffective because <laughs> um, I guess there's a couple of different books that I've read and had a, had a lot of understanding around um, how the brain works. Every time you interrupt it, it takes you, you know, at least 20 minutes to get back to what you were doing and in the in the same headspace. So put the door back on is one. <laughs> um, two, I've trained my team and I've spoken to them about and given them the resources so that they understand that every time they're interrupted as well, that there is that time period to get back to what they were doing, which is inefficient. So there's been that education piece that I think has been important. But I also take time out of the office, probably I would say once a fortnight, where it's at least half an hour out of the office to really just knuckle down and get something done and use use a timer that sort of gives me that space to get it done in as well. I think it's called a Pomodoro timer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're moving into the... I guess, the finances part of the podcast. And so I had a couple of questions related to this. I guess the first one is that you're a Beaninger's client and have you've tested out a couple of different products of ours. And I think you've really embraced the concept of building your own financial knowledge. I've really seen you take ownership. That's 
some a valuable piece of information or tool in your toolkit. And so I wondered if you could share just a couple of thoughts about why you might think that it's important to build skills in the area of finances. Yeah, I think one thing that I didn't mention in my pitch and probably why I got over the line is this building a business and, and running one is the quickest way to learn. Um, and I think from a professional development point of view, or one of the directors in particular, probably saw that <laughs> and, and probably that gap in my skill set a little bit and I also didn't have the confidence in that space. I could manage a budget, no problem, but when it came to sort of understanding accrual accounting or, you know, looking at the management report and being able to pick things out that were not quite right, I really struggled with that and um, I think that's something that you and I have spoken about but also that your team has really worked on developing, particularly with your your non-core products, or, or they may be core products now, but um, in terms of, you, you know, your, your finance education piece, you know, you're working with Zero, making sure that was set up as well. And then the CFO or the virtual CFO and piece that I've been working on with Wayne. So they, they're critical for my development in that and being able to understand how the business operates. I'm very good at looking at something logistically and in terms of a process and minimising that, but actually grasping that in a dollars and cents pieces has yeah, been a real learning curve as well. Well, you were one of the star students in the financial literacy course, so good on you for you know for doing the homework and, and embracing all of the the knowledge and applying it. It was great to see that. So related, a related question, and this is something that we're asking everyone on the podcast now, is what's your definition of financial freedom? It's a tricky one because um, I think it depends on your stage of life, to be honest. At one point in time, I would have said uh, so that I can go and travel and you know, see the world and get those experiences. I've been lucky enough in the business that we, we sponsor the Rice Foundation of Australia and I was lucky enough to go and visit Kenya and, and see the slums over there and that's really impacted how I see the world, although I probably had a, a little bit of this as well. And I think financial freedom for me is about being able to give back to your community as well as living, you know, within within your means um, and that, that may change and evolve over time. But, um, yeah, I think if you, if you can give back to other people, there's a real sense of gratitude and joy for your life and whatever challenges you're having don't seem so bad as well. And I think also, you know, my wife and I are trying to have children and, and wanting to embark on, on that and passing those values to them is important financial literacy in all aspects of life, personal and, and business, is gives you that, whether it's, you know, understanding that you, know, you get this much um, money for your allowance per week means you can spend this much on lollies and this much on <laughs> books and this much on your, your savings account for when you're old enough to buy a car, you know, <laughs> all those types of things. Okay, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun chatting with you and appreciate you being a great student as part of the financial literacy course, a wonderful customer at Bean Indians. We really enjoy working with you and collaborating with you on your financials. And also thanks for, I'd say it's more than 10 years now of friendship. Want to upgrade your financial skills and learn how to use Zero better? 
Applications are now open for our financial literacy for zero users training course designed for non-accountants who want to better understand and manage small business finances. Here's what Hayden, one of our past students, shared about his experience. I guess one of the biggest challenges I've found with our business predominantly being e-commerce is that as soon as money comes in, it goes straight back out to invest in inventory and other expenses that are involved in having a product-based business. So cash flow is always a significant issue. I basically realized that I wasn't checking financial documents regularly enough. So didn't really have as good understanding of where we were financially on a regular basis and also keeping up to date. Checking the bank accounts occasionally wasn't enough really. And when you go in and check the financial statements, you really get a better understanding of where your business is positioned financially. The course really gave us a better understanding of the different elements of the cash flow and financials and really made it to be a great course. It's really great now to have all the tools and templates that I need to go back and have a look at. I've got them saved away, which is fantastic. And go back through and review them at any stage when we need them, which is often required as we grow. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero file and not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, and you just want a simple way to understand zero and finances for your peace of mind, head to beingninjas.com forward slash course to learn more about our financial literacy course and apply today. That's beingninjas, B-E-A-N-N-I-N-J-A-S.com forward slash course.